What would you do if you were the mayor of a city and you were given millions of one-time dollars to spend pretty much as you see fit? Would you spread it around to many different projects or would you bundle it together and spend it all in one area? What would your priorities be? Welcome to the podcast, where we're putting those questions and others to two of the state's leading mayors, Linda Tyre of Pittsfield and John Mitchell of New Bedford. Welcome to both of you. Great to be with you, Bruce. Great to be here. Let's start with the basics, starting with you, Mayor Tyre. How much money did your city receive in federal ARPA funds and other sort of money that you could sort of freely decide what to do with? So altogether, we've received $40 million. The um, local appropriation to Pittsfield was $32 million. But then, as you know, there were some county appropriations that were made. And because we don't have county government here in Berkshire County, there was the county appropriation was divided up amongst the communities here in Berkshire County. So we got an additional $8 million. So altogether, $40 million. And just give us a perspective. In terms of the city's budget, how is it a big percentage, small percentage? How big of a deal is this for Pittsfield? It's a really big deal. Um, Our municipal operating budget is in the range of $179 million. And that's just the annual operating costs to provide police protection and fire services and educate our kids. And as, as you know, Bruce, we're always in our operating budgets thinking about how to best serve the people of our city. And we often have to sacrifice some of the great ideas and the great initiatives and the programs and the capital investments we want to make because we're limited by how much we can tax. So having this American Rescue Plan money coming into our community means that we can finally tackle some big projects and also support community partners. So Mayor Mitchell, how about you do the same thing, set the table for us for New Bedford. So uh, as between our direct allotment from the treasury and that which was passed through the county, New Bedford is receiving a little over $82 million. I note also that uh, the school department is receiving a considerable amount of money, about $47 million uh, from ARPA, and that's in addition to um, slugs of funds from previous coronavirus um, legislation that was passed back in, in 2019 and 20, so CARES Act and some of the other ones. So, um, so it's a considerable amount of money on the school side, and they're deciding what to do with that. And on the city side, it's about uh, about $82 million. Uh, our uh, operating budget is about $400 million. And so this uh, obviously constitutes about 20% or the equivalent of about 20% of the operating budget, which, you know, on the surface of things might not sound like all that much, but it, it's, it's an awful lot. And, and um, you know, it isn't, it isn't akin to sort of hitting the lottery, but it is a windfall of sorts. And so, you know, it, it's in that way, it's different from what we ordinarily deal with. I mean, Linda certainly empathize um, uh, with, with this, you know, we run city government um, uh, close to the nickel. I mean, in other words, you know, we are, we're very, really parsimonious with our spending and, um, you know, we are strive all the time to make uh, to make our money go as far as possible. So we do live, I, I don't want to overstate it, but you know, our existence, our existence is, is one that's characterized by scarcity and, and it has been since the great recession. It's not to say that we haven't made progress on the fronts. It's just to say that we don't have a lot of money to throw around. So the, 
ARPA proposition, as it were, is um, is unusual. Um, it's like nothing else that we've had to confront in our time in office. It's it's an opportunity, but it's it's one that requires you know a considerable amount of consideration and, and strategic thinking um, you know to get right because it's it's a once once in a generation opportunity. So just building on what you just said there, trying to get it right, strategic thinking. So how do you go about dispensing that money? How do you decide in New Bedford? How do you decide what your priorities are? Is this something you decide or is this something you incorporate the whole community into? How do you do it? Yeah, so it's not an exercise in, you know, mayoral fiat, right? It isn't just, well, one minute, just sort of, you know, reward folks here and there. Uh, it's, you know, we've tried uh, my time in office to, to have, um, plans in place um, and every activity of city government um, uh, that um, are founded on certain principles, right? That we're in the business of building a city uh, that we are, you know, I mean, as opposed to just sort of relying on exogenous factors, the state or federal activity to drive what we do. It's we're, we're all about self-sufficiency um, and we're all we're about um, uh, executing the mission uh, faithfully and, and, and successfully. That is to say, you know, you know, we take seriously the business of, of government here and we want to do, we want to be really good at it and very cost effective. At it. So there are plans in place, right? Economic development plans, strategic plans for the port, strategic plans for all the major uh, city departments. And so you start with that base. It's not like um, the, the, the arrival of, a considerable amount of federal money sort of changes the overall approach to governance and our aspirations. It just makes a lot of our goals more possible. Now, so you combine that with where folks are. If you're leading a city, you know, if you're leading any group, you need to know where the people you want to lead are, right? Sort of, you know, where they are, where, take them where they are in terms of their outlooks and their perspectives. And so, you know, we can't do anything without, um, you know, understanding what the public's interested in. And it's not to say where we make decisions with blowing the direction of the wind, um, but it's to say that, you know, we are to, to get everybody on the same page. People need to, uh, to get their ideas on the table. And so we had a planning process, uh, an input process here that included surveys and community meetings and neighborhood meetings and uh, some focus groups just to get all the best ideas out on the, the table. And so we got a considerable amount of input. I think some of it, frankly, has been inhibited by just the, the, the realities of the pandemic. It's you know, still hard to get people in the same room uh, in, the way, in ways that cities ordinarily, any city ordinarily would. But we did get a fair amount of public input. We um, put together a, an outline of sorts that was informed both by the planning that we've been doing over the years, as well as the public input. Um, I sort of tried to set the table as soon as the American Rescue Plan was passed by saying, look, you know, we want public input and we want to follow our plans, but here's, here's just a few basic rules of the road that I will insist on. One is that this is one-time money, meaning that we are not about to, uh, to launch new programs or, or expand um, other programs in ways that we will not be able to sustain once the money is, the ARPA funds are exhausted. And then secondly, uh, we need to use the money in ways that will um, 
enhance the return, our return on investment. We, we want to take our $82 million and turn it into something much greater by leveraging other capital, whether it's from the state um, or, or private uh, actors. So that's uh, really important as well. And then, you know, uh, the, the other thing is that we want, we want this to be, to change the overall direction of the city, right? We want this to be additive and not just, you know, a matter of using money to maintain things, but we want this to be strategic and, and set the city on a different course and like allow, allow this point in time to be an inflection point. And how all that happens, again, is uh, uh, spelled out in the outline that was informed by, you know, the, the, the public outreach as well as uh, the plans that we already had in place. Mayor Tyre, how about you? Talk about the process you, you set in motion. Sure. So, <clears throat> excuse me, of course, the very first thing we did was undertake a study of the act itself. And, you know, in the beginning, there was so much excitement and we were hearing from um, our senator and our congressman that this is, this is a great opportunity and there's so much flexibility. And then when we actually dove into the, the, the act that Congress passed, there, were, there really were some guardrails that... Um, we needed to take into consideration when putting our putting our plans in place. And we did a similar thing that Mayor Mitchell did. We went back to all of our capital plans, our five-year capital plan, our strategic plan, our economic development plan. And we took a look at those. And then we uh, conducted a community survey. We had 1,200 responses. That was absolutely phenomenal. In fact, what we loved the most about it is at the bottom of the survey, we gave people an opportunity to leave a comment. And we had 30 pages of comments in addition to, um, you know, just sort of answering the questions that we had included in the survey. So people really wanted to have their say. Um, it was important also in the survey to put those same guardrails that the rescue plan has in place into the survey. So people knew that there are some things we cannot do. We can't lower taxes with the American Rescue Plan. We can't pay off debt. There are very um, specific guidelines that we have to follow. Then we also held four community forums and it was based on the topics that are contained in the eligible uses. So public health, housing, economic recovery, travel and tourism. And we had those uh, community forums. People came and we conducted a presentation to give everyone an anchor point. This is what we can do with the American Rescue Plan to try to manage expectations, right? And then we also, following those forums, we held uh, uh, community stakeholder meetings. We invited our community partners who are providing services to the people of our city to come and tell us what they know, what they think, what they imagine. And of course, at the same time, we're thinking about what are the, what are the projects that the city wants to undertake? So for example, we wanna do a major upgrade to our drinking water infrastructure. So we're trying to find the right balance between supporting our community partners and, and advancing um, initiatives that will help the most vulnerable in our community, but also preserving um, opportunities for capital investments that we need to make in our own infrastructure. And then we, we basically identified um, a percentage of the plan that say, for example, 45% of our money will be targeted to the best of our ability towards housing investments and addressing housing um, infrastructure needs. So that's, so that's one element of it. Then I formed a, a mayor's advisory council of nine people who um, continue to, I meet with um, every other week. 
And we walk through what we've learned. We, we developed and wrote together a guiding principle that will give us our focus, be our focus point. And um, that process with the advisory council has been phenomenal. It's been enlightening. They've provided great insight. And we are in the very near future going to release an invitation to apply. And we hope that our community partners will take advantage of this opportunity. There's a lot of clamoring, as you can imagine, Bruce. People wanna know, how can we access this money? We have ideas. So we certainly wanna support those kinds of community-led, community-based um, ideas about how to make our city a place for everyone. At the same time, we know there are things that we want to do that are investments in our infrastructure and other community um, neighborhood-based um, things that we want to do as a city based upon all the other plans that we have in place. So we're still in that process of shaking that, shaking that all out. I'm going to be very intrigued to see who applies, what their proposals are, and how much money they want. I'm going to be very, I'm very curious and very eager to see based on um, what we've taught our community about the American Rescue Plan, how do, they, how do they imagine using this source of money to advance life in our community? So just to be clear, it sort of sounds like a, a, a chunk of the 40, was it 41 million? Just 40 million. 40 million, the chunk of it is going to some, some infrastructure and some sort of specific things, but there's gonna be a chunk that the community applies for and, and there'll be an evaluation process to decide how that should be distributed. Is, is that right? That's exactly right. We will, um, the, the application is comprehensive. In addition to the application or the invitation to apply, we've also created a concept application. So if there is somebody in the community who isn't sure and doesn't have a fully baked idea, they can submit a concept application and our goal is to look at that and see how do we create collaborations? How do we bring people together? That's another you know, element of our, of our invitation to apply is who are you collaborating with to really maximize this, this funding source? Um, and so, yes, that, that's, that, that's the idea. So Mayor Mitchell, um, so as an outsider to this, someone not making this decision, when I first heard about all this money and when you hear about it at a statewide level, it's, it's a phenomenal amount of money. Um, you sort of think, all right, what would you do? Would you put it like, I'm going to take care of the housing problem. I'm going to put it all on that side of the house, or I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and, and really put your money where your mouth is. But a political process, frankly, at least watching it on Beacon Hill is often, there's a lot of different interests. A lot of different people want a piece of the action. And so it becomes sort of like a budget. It's, I'm saying this at the state house. It's sort of a budget process. A little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there. So the idea of transformational starts to fade a little bit. Tell me, how did you struggle with that? Uh, I've seen some of your priorities, and and you've given priority some things that might be surprising. Um, it seems like did you struggle with that? How how big to go, or or to spread it out all over the place? Yeah, I think it's just it's a struggle for every mayor. Well, most mayors, I, I think. Um, and, you know, it's really a question of, you know, how, you know, so we do have, again, we have plans in place and we have an understanding you know, those, those plans um, are we're not overnight exercises. They're based on, you know, a whole lot of data and analysis and, you know, the money that's, the resources that are coming in now make, as I said, make the goals of those plans 
much more achievable, but they also have to meet up with a political reality, right? So, you know, the political reality might dictate that we put more money into water and wastewater because at least of the perception that funding in that area might tend to lower utility rates, right? So that's you know, one compromise that we've had um, to make along the way. Um, and a number of our city councilors have had you know, certain demands as, as well. And so we've had to accommodate some of that. Um, but again, you know, you, I try to take the long view on, on these things and the long view I think says, well, where, where do you want your city to be in 20 years and how do you use the money now to um, make, you know, that vision more likely to come about. So, you know, so we, we, have, to, we have to identify priorities and we've done that. Uh, and funding priorities, uh, that is, and explain to the public why why that is, and uh, while accommodating what we have to accommodate, we don't operate in vacuums, of course, right? So there is a political reality we have to deal with. I do think that it's in the interest of cities, you know, for those I you know I know you know Linda certainly sees it the same way as I. Uh, you know, if you're in this job, you have you have to think long term, and and not just and not just swing with the, you know, the election cycle. And for those mayors that are committed to the long-term, you have to explain why, why you're doing what you're, why you're doing the things you're doing um, and why that's gonna matter to the long run of the city, even though it may not be intuitive to the public. So your largest amount, if I'm looked at the numbers correctly, 18 million was going to arts, culture, hospitality, and tourism. Now that's something you haven't heard a lot about. Uh, at least I haven't heard that much about. Why is that New Bedford's apparently top priority? Well, again, you know, our, our economic development strategy here is all about accentuating uh, that which we do well, right? So what, what, is, what do we do well here in New Bedford? Well, it's all stuff on the water, right? For one thing, right? You know, we're America's biggest commercial fishing port and we're striving to be a leader in offshore wind and you know we do a lot of other stuff there so that's an area of value right and continued strength um there are other areas as well healthcare is one manufacturing um in the in the arts sector and the reality is that um there are um in the ARPA regs constraints on how much we can push into the port and we'll definitely put some in and as far as uh, so to the extent that the rules allow, but there are constraints there. And so we think of like, what are the other areas we want to leverage? Well, in the arts sector, arts and hospitality and tourism sectors, um, those are right in the wheelhouse of the statute of the American Rescue Plan. And it also happens to be an area where, you know, we've, we have a lot of cards to play. Um, we have you know, sizable cultural institutions here ranging from the Zyterian Performing Arts Center to the Memphis Whaling Museum to the Memphis Art Museum to the with Park Zoo to the, uh, the National Park and a number of other museums. So, you know, that cultural sector draws a lot of folks in and when it's doing well, it has a considerable multiplier effect in the local economy. When the Zyterian, as you've experienced, Bruce, whole, has, has a show, all the restaurants in the downtown fill up, right? So, you know, it's those, those kind of, so we look at it, we look at it that way. It's, 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 you think about returns on investment, it's a good area to put money into because of that multiplier effect and because um, when we invest in cultural institutions, we're likely to get, to, we're likely to leverage private capital as well, donations from, um, 
from supporters of those organizations, uh, as well as other foundations, as well as uh, in all likelihood some state money uh, as well. The, the concept of arts, hospitality, and tourism also encompasses things like you know, uh, regional tourism marketing. That's another area we'll be uh, pushing money out uh, into uh, as, as well. Some, some, event, uh, some event planning, a modest amount, but enough to just create some excitement, at, uh, especially during the summer months and places where we want to do placemaking. Um, and you know a handful of other areas, but by and large, this is an this is a, a a set of sectors that we think could generate a pretty good return on investment. And that's the way, frankly, I see this thing. I, I see the ARPA opportunity largely in transactional terms. It's one time, and we have you know a, we have a pretty good idea of you know what the best investments are, and we're trying to leverage as much other um, investment. And um, as we can, investment funds as we can through the use of these, these funds in those areas. Mayor Tyre, as you uh, start to apportion this money, is it clear yet where the biggest chunk is going to go? Are you betting big? You're betting many, many small bets? What's yeah. your strategy? Well, it's really interesting that you've raised this point about do we take all $40 million and make a big investment in one area or do we try to um, apportion it in a way that supports um, many um, initiatives. And at this point, we're trying to find the right balance between community-based initiatives and investments that we want to make in our community for the future, for the long run, for the, for the long view. And, um, you know, we have identified in our work that housing is, a, is an area where we want to put a big portion of our funds, up to 45% over the, you know, total 40 million. And that goes um, everywhere from affordable housing to homeless sheltering. Um, that's, this is an area of community life where we've heard from the community that this is something that they value, that they care about. But we also know from our own internal planning that housing is a challenge here in the city of Pittsfield. And so that's you know, where we want to make investments that we think will serve a vulnerable community help us um, attract uh, more employees to our, to our community. You know, we hear from our business leaders all the time that they have openings, but people cannot find housing that's either high quality or affordable, right? So our Berkshire Health Systems is constantly hiring. General Dynamics is hiring. So we have to serve um, our business leaders and their future employees, but we also have to make sure that we're responding to the needs of the most vulnerable, right? Our homeless brothers and sisters. So it's finding housing that crosses those sectors seems to be the area where we're going to put much of our focus. And has there been any thought of, and now this is sort of, I know is thinking way outside the box, but a regional approach with this money at all, um, or a portion of the money, like uh, the Berkshires all getting together and doing something jointly rather than one person, one community trying to carry the burden all by itself or something. And same could be in New Bedford. As you often say, Mayor, the greater New Bedford area, are others, would others buy into a sort of joint effort? I think there are opportunities for that. We haven't, um, we haven't started any of those conversations. Part of the challenge is that, you know, Pittsfield got 40 million, but the town seven, seven miles to the south of us got 4 million, for example, right? So there's, this, there's these wide swings of, of, of funds that are available 
um, across Berkshire County. And there's also um, each, as you mentioned at the, at the beginning, Bruce, each community has its own um, areas of interest or priorities that they want to invest in. For the Berkshires, I think that one of our common themes is that we are a destination and Pittsfield is part of that travel, tourism, culture, hospitality. So that is an area where we could um, jointly come together and do some really collaborative work. To Mayor Mitchell mentioned the work they're doing on travel and tourism. We're doing a similar thing where we want to do a major uh, marketing public relations campaign to promote everything that we have to offer here in the city of Pittsfield. And we've identified a very interesting element in terms of who's coming to our city, who's coming to the Berkshires. And it's the generation of 20 and 30 year olds who come here for outdoor recreation and the combination of art and culture and the restaurant scene. So we wanna target our marketing campaigns and our public relations campaign to that traveler. And so we're working um, on that right now. And to your point, that could actually be a benefit to the whole region. Uh, Mayor Mitchell? I think so I, I, I see it the same way. I think it's hard for, uh, for us to couple with our suburbs on some regional matter in a meaningful way, in, in large part because they, they didn't get nearly as much money. But um, one area that our, our, our approach to, to marketing, marketing effort is very similar to, to Linda's. I mean, we sort of style New Bedford as, you know, the center of a, a region that has a lot to offer in the way of tourism assets. And that New Bedford is sort of the base from which you can go and do things like go to great beaches and go to, you know, just visit the stuff here in the downtown, all the restaurants, cultural institutes, but then you can branch off and go see things like cranberry bogs and beaches and, and you know, over in Fall River, Battleship Cove and some other stuff in between and vineyards and things and um, great hikes, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. Um, and that's, so we'll spend, I'm sure, a considerable amount uh, evangelizing that very point. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that's for really, that, that's sort of it in the way of a regional uh, approach. So uh, we're, we're wrapping up here, but I wanna give each of you a chance to briefly answer. You're gonna invest this money over the next couple of years. I think you have a two, two to three years to, to get it out the door and actually invest it. Five years, four years? I have, it has to be committed by the end of 2024 and spent by the end of 2026. Okay, so as you look, 2030, let's pick 2030. Is what you do now going to? I won't be up? here. I don't know about Linda, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll you'll be around. You'll you'll be seeing what what happens. Do you do you sort of hope? Do you expect that what you do now with the money will pay huge dividends by twenty thirty? Say, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think when I when I when I think about the housing investments we want to make, we want to make sure that we have. Uh, people who have come here to fill job vacancies and have found a, a high quality place to live, a place that they can afford to live, but we're also caring for uh, those who need it the most. For example, our, our, our travel tourism and marketing public relations campaign, if we, you know, the, the average citizen might say, how is that going to help us, right? We have so many other needs, but that's the sort of investment where you have a traveler who comes to your community, spends money while they're here visiting, 
discovers this magnificent place, comes back again, or even decides that this is a place where they can have a successful business, raise their family, enjoy an active retirement. So it's those kinds of investments. It's that kind of uh, lifestyle that I hope to see in 2030. People, people living in great neighborhoods, coming to our city, enjoying all that we have to offer, and also getting nice, clean drinking water because we've made investments in our infrastructure. So it's all of those things packaged together that I hope in 2030, um, all of us that are doing this work right now can look back and say, we made a lot of good decisions in, in, in 2022. Mayor Mitchell, I'll give you a, a little brief ending if you want to tell us what you envision by 2030. Yeah, and Linda said it very well. Um, our approach is the same. We want to have um, leave something here that's, that is lasting and, and continues to contribute to the life of the city um, you know, for you know, future generations. I, I'm reminded of this, and I've, I've, I've reached to this example a number of times, but the city has, uh, has had uh, an opportunity like this in the past. And, and uh, the one within my memory, it's a little bit of a stretch for me, I guess, but in the mid seventies, when the CDBG um, program was enacted by Congress in the Ford administration, a number of cities the next year, the next two, two years out, got a huge windfall of funds. So here in New Bedford, it was $13 million in CDBG funds. So $13 million in 1977, um, you really get about 2.3 million now, just to give you a sense of that. And that's, you know, that's the same dollars, not adjusted for inflation or anything. So 13 million bucks back in the mid seventies was a lot of dough at the time. Um, Jack Markey was the mayor, is the mayor here pretty much throughout the seventies. And, uh, he was persuaded by a number of folks in the preservation community to spend it on restoring the cobblestone streets in our downtown. Mm -hmm. And um, and people thought he was nuts. Um, and when he went ahead and said, yeah, I'll do that instead of building this or that or, or, or enhancing some existing program. And, you know, as it turned out, so 40 years later almost, um, yeah, almost 40 years later, it's, it's, been, um, it's been a huge success. So the cobblestone streets that so many are familiar with in Bedford now were um, a result of uh, one mayor is deciding I'm going to spend all this money on, on cobblestoning streets in a certain part of uh, the city. And now it's this hugely photographed area. As we think about marketing New Bedford, that's the first place we turn. You know, it's the cobblestone streets of the historic district. And so that continues to pay off. Um, and so, you know, and so far as we have opportunities to do that, we want to take full advantage of them. And, and that, that's, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting couple of years. Well, that's a, that's a fascinating story. And with that, I think we'll, we'll come to a close. Mayor Tyre of Pittsfield, Mayor Mitchell of New Bedford, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thanks so much.